Father, we thank you for this wonderful opportunity we have of coming together to worship you in such a wonderful time of worship. We thank you, Father, for your word. As I come to teach today, I thank you for your anointing upon my mind that I might grasp the revelation that will rise in abundance from my heart within. Thank you now for supernatural recall of the scripture. And I believe that your word will flow from my mouth smoothly, accurately, clearly, without hindrance from anything, carried by your anointing, your power, and your love to each person's mind under the sound of my voice, bringing understanding and removing all confusion. And I believe that your word will enter every heart under the sound of my voice, bringing faith and removing all fear, for which we give you alone all the praise, the honor, and the glory for all that's revealed in the is through your word and by your spirit here today. In Jesus' name and all those who love the Lord said, Amen. Amen. Praise God. Take, take the person by the hand next to you and say, I'm ready for church. <coughs> all right. <clears throat> Today's message is titled, The Heavenly Father Loves His Children. The Heavenly Father Loves His Children. And this is part one in our little new mini-series. So please open your Bible to Psalm 103. I want to encourage folks to bring Bibles to church. I see so many people with their Bibles, writing in their Bibles. That's good, exciting. Because you will grow much faster, become a lot more mature, walk in a stronger faith if you'll have a real Bible and take notes. All right, Psalm 103, verse 1. I'm using a New Living Translation now. You might be using a New King James. That's fine. That's good. It's a better one. Praise the Lord, I tell myself with my whole heart. I will praise His holy name. Praise the Lord, I tell myself, and never forget the good things He does for me. He forgives all my sins. And heals all my diseases. Said that God heals all my diseases and forgives all my sins. Wonderful Father, eh? He ransoms me from death and surrounds me with love and tender mercies. Said that Jesus has purchased me from death and God surrounds me with tender mercies. The devil has told such lies about the Father. And unfortunately, the unsaved world believes it. If they knew who God the Father really was, they'd flock to the churches to serve him. He fills my life with good things. My mouth is renewed. My life is, my youth is renewed like the eagles. Said that God fills my life with good things. Again, he fills my life with good things, and my youth is renewed like the eagles. Praise God. The Lord gives righteousness and justice to all who are treated unfairly. The Lord is merciful and gracious. He is slow to get angry and full of unfailing love. God is slow to get angry. Well, I'm sure glad to hear that. Amen? Aren't you glad to to hear that? He's slow to get angry. 
Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. And full of unfailing love. You know, if he got angry quickly, he'd just squash us like a bug, wouldn't he? But he doesn't. <laughs> he loves us. He has not punished us for all of our sins, nor does he deal harshly with us as we deserve. Isn't that nice to know? Say that God doesn't deal harshly with me like I deserve. For his unfailing love toward those who fear him is as great as the height of the heavens above the earth. So as far as heaven is above the earth, so is his unfailing love towards those who fear him. He has removed our rebellious acts as far from us as the east is from the west. So that God has removed my sin from me as far as the east is from the west. Say, so God has forgiven me and my righteousness has stretched as far as the east is from the west. How far is that? You can't measure it, right? The Lord is like a father to his children, tender and compassionate to those who fear him. See, this is the heart of God, family. Tender and compassionate. Wow. Go to Psalm 139, verse 13. Psalm 139. Almost there. Verse 13. You made all the delicate parts. You made all the delicate inner parts of my body and knit me together in my mother's womb. So God watched over us and he created us. Not only did God place our spirit in the womb of our mother, but he also developed our bodies, watched it grow, made sure it grew as he wanted it to grow. He made all the delicate inner parts of my body and knit me together in my mother's womb. Thank you for making me so wonderfully complex. Your workmanship is marvelous, how well I know it. You watched me as I was being formed in, my, in utter seclusion, as I was woven together in the dark of the womb. You saw me before I was born. Every day of my life was recorded in your book. Every moment was laid out before a single day had passed. Can you believe that? God actually knew what his plan was for each of our lives before we were born. Amen? How precious are your thoughts about me, O oh God. They are innumerable. Say so this, God thinks good things about me. I can't even count them. They outnumber the grains of sand. So if you ever wonder what God thinks about you, say this, God thinks good things about me. And it says that... Um, they outnumber the grains of sand. So say this, God thinks about me continually. There are more thoughts of God for me than sand on the planet earth. When I wake up in the morning, you are still with me. God thinks, thinks about us all the time. You know, some folks think God is uh, judging us. He's 
he's thinking bad about us. He's thinking about all the bad things we do and, 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 and our mistakes and failings. No, God is not thinking like that. God sees you the way he made you by faith. And he sees you that way by faith. And all the good things he confesses of your life in the scripture, that's what he sees you to be. Amen? That's what God sees you to be. God's not thinking bad things about you. He's thinking the best about you all the time. He's like the best friend you've ever had only thinks good about you. Luke 15, 11. Then Jesus said, A certain man had two sons. I'll wait for you to get there. You've got to follow this in your Bible. Luke 15, 11. This is very, very good. You're going to love this. A certain man had two sons. Now, Jesus is telling the story, right? He's going to tell us here about the Father God. He's going to reveal the heart of the Father to us. Jesus himself will do that. And the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the portion of goods that falls to me. So he divided to them his livelihood. Say this, he divided to them his livelihood. So he had two sons and he split all that he had between the two sons. He gave his inheritance to both sons at that time. And not many days after, the youngest son gathered all together, journeyed to a far country, and there wasted his possessions with prodigal living, which is wild parties and prostitutes. But when he had spent all, there arose a severe famine in that land, and he began to be in want. Then he went and joined himself to a citizen of that country, and he sent him into his fields to feed swine. And he would gladly have filled his stomach with the pods that the swan ate, and no one gave him anything. But when he came to himself, he said, all right, now you watch that there in your Bible. It says, when he came to himself. So clearly he was not in his right mind. He was controlled by demon thinking. Controlled by demon thinking. So at this point in time, his mind cleared, came to his senses, and he said to himself, how many of my father's hired servants have bread enough and to spare? And I perish with hunger. He says, my father's servants have plenty of food. Why am I sitting here feeding pigs and eating pig food? I'll arise and go to my father and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. And I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. And he arose and came to his father. But when he was still a great way off, his father saw him. Underline that. When he was a great way off, his father saw him. That means when he is a speck on the horizon, his father recognized him and saw him. Evidently, he was waiting, watching, waiting for his son. And uh, it says he had compassion on him. And ran and fell on his neck and kissed him. So here the father runs to his son, falls on him, and kisses him. He didn't wait for him to arrive. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and your side, and I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Bring out the best robe and put it on him. Now watch that. Just put a circle around the word robe, put it on him. 
put a ring on his finger, a circle around a ring, hand on his, and, and on his hand, sandals and on his feet, and bring a fatted calf and kill it and let us eat and be merry. We can talk about all of that, but put a circle around the word robe, ring, sandals, fatted calf, because all those are different steps in entering a covenant with God. We'll talk about that now. Then he goes on in verse 24, Jesus says, For this was my son who was dead and is alive again, and he was lost and is found, and he began to marry. Take note of those words too. This is what the backslider goes through. Was dead and is alive again. Was lost and is found. It's not only talking about the backsliders, also talking about those who don't know Jesus. So both, both categories. Was dead, is alive again was lost and is found. Jesus said that. This is important. Now his oldest son was in the field. And as he came and drew near to the house, he heard music and dancing. So he called one of the servants and asked what these things meant. And he said to him, Your brother has come home. And because your father has received him safe and sound, your father has killed the fatted calf. But he was angry, would not go into the party, the celebration. Therefore his father came out and pleaded with him. So he answered and said to his father, Lo, these many years I have been serving you. So here the son is saying, I've served God for many years. I've never transgressed your commandments. I've been a good son. I never transgressed your commandments at any time. And yet you never gave me a young goat that I might make merry with my friends. Put a circle around young. I'll talk about that in a minute. But as soon as this son of yours came, who has devoured your livelihood and harlots with harlots, you killed a fatted calf for him. And he said to him, son, you are always with me. And all that I have is yours. Now notice those words. All that I have is yours. How's that? Well, we read earlier that he divided his inheritance between both sons, right? So everything the father has now belongs to this, young, this older son. All that I have is yours. In other words, you could have enjoyed anything you wanted at any time. It was right that we should make merry and be glad. For your brother was dead and is alive again and was lost and is found. So Jesus repeats that line. This is very important. Very important. Was lost, was dead. Serious stuff. But let's focus on what the, the father did here. All right, let's think about this story. The younger son asked for the inheritance that he did not deserve because his father was still alive. This inheritance was only due to him once his father had died. The prodigal son insulted his father by asking for the inheritance before his father had died. Because that insinuates... I wish you were dead, Dad. I wish you were dead. I want my inheritance. I've been waiting for you to die. You haven't died. So now give me my money. 
And you know, the neighbors in that little village, when that younger son left town with his inheritance, the neighbors understood that this younger son did not act in accordance with etiquette and the culture of that day and even of today. Amen? After wasting all his inheritance, he began to eat pig food with the pigs. And he came to himself, came to his right mind, and decided to repent to his father and to God. While he was still a long way away, his father saw him and ran to him. That tells us that the father, God, is watching out for any of his children that show any inclination of wanting to repent for any wrong that they've done. For any wrong they've done. This shows us how quickly God responds to our repentance. Can we see that? The father ran to his son. Ran to his son. And he must have been watching from the moment the son left. Watching for his return. He saw which way he went and watched every day, day and night, for the son to come on home. And he ran towards him. He ran to him. The father fell on him and kissed him, put a robe on him, which is a covenant action in my book on the blood covenant. I'll walk you through the different possible steps people take in entering a covenant. That's one of them. One of them. They change, exchange coats. Put a ring on his hand. That's another thing they did. Put a ring on their hand or exchange rings. Sandals on their feet. That's another thing they did. And then he also ate the fatted calf. Now the fatted calf was prepared... In the, in the event of, in case of, a very important guest coming to visit unexpectedly. So that calf was kept that way. In case somebody very important came and the, the, the owner of the home would not be embarrassed, he'd be able to treat this very important guest with the fatted calf. All right? And if he was going to enter a covenant with somebody... He would use the fatted calf for that purpose. Now, even though the father was embarrassing himself, in front of his peers, his neighbors, he ran to protect his son from embarrassment. He had to lift up his skirt. Remember, they wore robes in those days. He had to lift up that robe and run through the hills and valleys to his son. That was embarrassing for any nobleman to do that especially in front of his neighbors, but he did it. Why did he do it? So that his son would not have to walk all that way with his head drooping, his shoulders down, feeling condemned and feeling the judgment of the neighborhood. No, he took that all away from his son by running to him so that none of the neighbors would be able to uh, condemn him and feel that way because this, the father now accepted him and uh, uh, restored him so the neighborhood could say nothing. Could say nothing. No one could throw stones at him. You see that? 
That's how God protects us or anybody that makes mistakes and comes home. Can you see that? He doesn't want the devil to condemn us and point fingers at us and give him the right to do that. No. The Father wants to immediately cover that. The Bible says love covers a multitude of sins. And God is love. Amen. Amen. The Father refused to allow His Son to, to be a slave in His house. Or even a servant in His house. No. He insisted on reinstating His Son to full covenant relationship. That's what He walked Him through. This clearly displays the love of God and the mercy of God and the patience of God for us. Say so that. This shows me. Let's say it this way. Jesus is showing me the love, the patience, and the mercy of God towards me and his children. And Jesus is telling us what the heart of the Father is like in this story. So we're studying the subject, the Heavenly Father's love for His children, and yet Jesus is telling us about the Father's love for His children. Amen? The Son represents both the lost and the unsaved in the story. Both. The Father must have been waiting since the Son left, looking across the hills and the valleys, waiting for Him to come back. Say this with me, please. Second Chronicles 20. Second Chronicles 20, and verse 21, give thanks to the Lord, for his, for his faithful love endures forever. Give thanks to the Lord, for His faithful love endures forever. The faithful love of God endures forever tells us that it will always be there for us. His love will never fail us. Amen. Amen. You can always count on His love. His faithful love endures how long? Forever. Forever. Wow. Thank you, Jesus. Now, may I ask you a question here? How much is your house worth? Or how much is your car worth? Or how much is anything that you have of value worth? It's worth what somebody will pay for it. You might think your house is worth a million dollars, but if somebody's only prepared to give you 300000 then that's what it's worth, right? Are you with me? How much is a lost soul worth? What did God pay for a lost soul? He gave Christ. Who is Christ? Jesus Christ is the creator of the universe. Nothing was made that was not made without him. Right? The Bible says he holds all things together by the power of his word or the command of his word. Everything in existence stays like it is. You think about the stars, how that each star has gravity around it, and every star is connected together with gravity, and the whole universe is all working together in multiple trillions of different gravity pulls, keeping it that way. All there created after God created the earth 
and put man, and then he, paid, he created all that, put man in the center of it. He created all that for our viewing pleasure. That's how much God loves us and he made us in his own image and likeness. And gave us authority over all the work of his hands. I'll talk about that probably next week or the week after. But, <clears throat> so how much is Christ worth, the one who created all this? God gave him to purchase lost souls. So the value of a lost soul is equal to the value of Christ. Because that's what God paid for, a lost soul. When you want a lost soul to Jesus or to God, you're giving him something as valuable as Jesus. Say that when I won a lost soul to God, I'm giving the Father something as valuable. I'm giving God a gift as valuable as Christ. So is there anything I can give to God of value? Yes. Yes, very much so. Very much so. Did you know that you are unique? Did you know that you have your own DNA? No one on earth has a DNA like yours. You know that, right? You have your own fingerprints. No one on earth has fingerprints like yours. You know that, right? And that you look different. No one looks exactly like you on earth. You know that, right? And you think differently. No one else on planet thinks just like you. And you have a different nature. No one on the earth has a nature like yours. You have a different skill set. No one on earth has your exact skill set. You have different abilities. You are not an accident. God clearly thought through your design. You're not a prototype. God through, thought through your design before you were born and created you that way. That's why God is willing to pay so much for your salvation because of who you are to him. He put a lot of thought and planning into you. You are his prized creation, far more than the stars and the earth. If you were the only person in the world, Jesus would have died for you. And yet, Judas Iscariot sold Jesus for 30 pieces of silver. Unfortunately, we have many descendants of Judas Iscariot in our world today who are willing to give up Jesus in their lives for even less than 30 pieces of silver. I'm reminded of a story I, I shared with you some time ago. I've shared it once or twice. But when I thought of this message, I, that I thought that that story would fit so perfectly in here. I'm going to share it with you again. About 150 years ago, the story goes, that a man lived in England, 
and he was extremely, extremely wealthy. He sold all of his possessions and bought a giant diamond with that money and decided to immigrate to America. It was on board a ship sailing across the ocean and went upstairs on the deck to get some sunshine. And he took out this giant rock of a diamond from his pocket and was holding it in his hand, looking at it. And he noticed a crowd of people gather around him to stare at this diamond. And he felt quite, you know, proud and important because of that. And so the next day, he decided to go up there again and do the same thing. And this time, a bigger crowd came around. And so uh, he thought he'd just entertain this crowd for a moment, threw the diamond up in the air and caught it. And uh, everybody gasped for air when he did that. He went downstairs into his cabin. The next day he came out, pulled it out again. This time a huge crowd gathered around him. So now he felt like he really had to put on a show. So he threw the diamond real high in the air and everybody held their breath. And he fumbled the ball and dropped the diamond and it bounced overboard. And he realized he had just lost his fortune and became very embarrassed in front of all these people watching him. And now he was a very poor man. He had nothing at all to his name. We think how foolish that man could be to do a thing like that. And yet, the tragedy is that so many are doing exactly that with their eternal soul. Because they are blinded by demons, 2 Corinthians 4.4, 4, just like the prodigal son was feeding pigs. Not in their right mind. Seems like we have to pray for the lost and shake them by the shoulders until they come to their senses and bring them to church so they can hear the gospel and get saved. Because if they don't, they have no chance. They're not in their right mind. Let's go back to our story in Luke 15. The older brother would not go into the celebration even though his father begged him to go in. The older brother was offended. He had bitterness, unforgiveness, resentment, and pride in his heart. I'll say that again. He had bitterness, unforgiveness, resentment, and pride in his heart. So actually, both the younger brother and the older brother were both backslidden in heart. Both were. He did not depend upon the grace and the mercy of God to meet his needs. He insisted on earning everything by his own strength. His father said, all I have is yours. You could have had anything you wanted all the time, but no. I've done this, I've done that, I've done the rest. I'm trying to earn it. I'm trying to show you how great I ought. How great I ought. It doesn't work with God. We have to come to God 
and thank Him for His grace. Amen? Not our greatness, but His grace. He was not willing to show any mercy. He was not willing to show any compassion to his brother. His brother was on the way to hell in a foreign country, but he never showed any compassion. He did not rejoice when his brother's lost soul came back into fellowship. He did not rejoice. Now, if I really love you, if I, as your shepherd, really love you, I need to say something that will prepare you for the day that you stand before God to be judged. Is that right? Because the Bible tells us all of us will stand before the judgment seat of Christ. Is that what the Bible said? Thank you for those three yeses. It's true, nevertheless. And it's soon, very soon. The rapture is not far away. So if you're young, don't think, oh, it's a lifetime away. No, no. The rapture is very soon. So, if I really loved you, I need to say something that will prepare you for that day that you stand before Jesus because there's one thing you can count on. That day will come. There's one thing you can all count on. You will have to stand before the Lord one day. Amen? Yeah. You all believe that? Yeah. How many of you believe that? Raise your right hand if you believe that. Okay. Just check in. All have to stand. So as your shepherd, I cannot say that I have prepared you for that day if I haven't motivated you to reach out to lost souls. I need to encourage you to reach out to lost souls. Why? Because God so loves them and He so loves us. And, he, and He's so giving in every way. Can we not be like our Father? Your family and friends should be in church. My family and friends, my neighbors should be in church. All of us can do better. Me too. All of us can do better. Unless there's someone here that says, I'm cool, I'm good. <laughs> I, don't, I don't think so. I'd like to. If that's the case, then obviously in down, you come preach because <laughs> you deserve it more than I do for sure. No, all of us can do better. Amen? Amen. Lift your hands and say, I can do better. I can do better. Amen. Your family and friends and my family and friends should be sitting in church, my neighbors. And it's up to us to tell them about Jesus. And it's up to us to disciple them. I watched a 45-minute video of a Spanish lady in Bogota, Colombia, giving her testimony. The worship team has come up on the platform. Listen carefully here now. Don't be distracted. If they walk, you know, that distracts you, let me walk and you can watch me rather. So, I watched a 45-minute message from a lady, a Spanish lady in Bogota, Colombia, giving her testimony. And Tom will not allow me to tell you the whole story because it was quite a long story, but here's the bottom line. She died 
She went to hell, and then she went to heaven and stood before Jesus. And the Lord said to her, you will have to go back to the earth. Jesus said, I cannot let you into heaven now. If I did, you'd go in by the skin of your teeth. If I let you into heaven now, you'd go in by the skin of your teeth. And the lady said to Jesus, why is that? And he replied, now hang on to your seat. You have not won one single soul and discipled them for me. You have not won one single soul and discipled them for me. Therefore, you're going to heaven by the skin of your teeth. That's not the way I want to arrive in heaven. I'm not going to ask here this morning how many of you have won at least one soul because I don't want to embarrass anybody. But we must understand that when we stand before Jesus on that day, everyone will know how many souls we've won. At least one. At least one. Everybody will know. Jesus will know. The Father will know. The angels will know. All of us will know. So I'm preparing you for that day, which is coming. We can't get away from it. Now listen to this. Second Peter chapter 3, verse 9. God is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. So that God wants everybody to get saved. All right, now watch this. This will help you a lot. Jesus said in John chapter 4, verse 35, Do you think the work of harvesting will not begin until the summer ends, four months from now? Look around you. Vast fields are ripening all around us and are ready now for the harvest. The harvesters are paid good wages. So Jesus said, those who reap the harvest receive great blessing. And the fruit of their harvest is people brought to eternal life. Say that lost souls coming to salvation is the harvest Jesus is talking about. And those who bring lost souls to Christ will be greatly blessed now and in eternity. Now watch this. What joy awaits both the planter and the harvester alike. Both the planter and the harvester alike. What's that mean? If I witness to somebody and I plant seed, I, I share my testimony. I tell them about the goodness of God. Whatever opportunity arises, I say something about what the Lord's done for me. Anything that I have in my heart to share with that person doesn't know the Lord, right? They might not get saved. That means I'm the planter. But somebody else comes along and that person then gets saved because God use what I shared and works in their heart, prepares them, that seed grows, 
and then somebody else comes along and now they're ready and picks the fruit. You see? Or maybe I, I talk to somebody and somebody else planted the seed and now they get saved when I talk to them. So I become the harvester. But both the one who plants the seed, saying something nice, whatever it is about the Lord, and both the person who reaps the harvest, both will be rewarded mightily by the Lord in eternity. You see that? So you don't always have to actually get the person saved, but just saying the right thing, the kind word that's on your heart, and giving the Lord some honor or mentioning Him in some way will bring you a reward. Amen? You got it? John 15, 8. The Lord Jesus said, By this my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit, so you will be my disciples. So God wants us to bring lots of souls to Him. We glorify God by bringing in much fruit. Amen. Say this prayer with me. From the heart. Don't just say it unless you say it from the heart. Think about it, okay? Father God, after hearing your word this morning, I believe you're a loving Father and that you love me unconditionally, completely. And you love the lost unconditionally and completely. And this morning, I commit myself to showing you that I love you. And I commit myself to love you more. I commit myself to remember the lost and open my heart and share to them, share with them whenever the opportunity arises about Jesus. I thank you, Father. I believe I will do the right thing. I am fully committed in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Praise God, praise God, praise God. Praise God.